Listening Dog Media. Hello and welcome to this special episode of How to DJ as I look back at some of my favourite moments from 2022. Starting with Paul Oakenfold and Paul revealing how dyslexia played a big part in his journey to becoming a superstar DJ. I want to start though with dyslexia. How did your dyslexia affect your education and your early years, would you um, say? Well, that was that was the problem and in some respects still is the problem. Um, it's uh, something that I suffer from and in... And in a lot of respects, uh, it gives me insecurity in, um, in certain situations. And uh, out of it, you know, I found music as a young boy, and that was really the the the, the door that opened for me. And I I um, followed that path, and and yeah, that was that was the moment really. But. I I think if anyone with dyslexia, you know, who, who suffers, it, it makes you just feel insecure, especially at school. You know, that's that was back in the day. You know, obviously, and I I really felt insecure at school. So does that mean, Paul, that you didn't enjoy school? Well, it's an understatement. Um, no, I didn't. In, I really didn't enjoy school. I don't know many people who can say they enjoyed school. You're you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're good at. Um, No, I certainly didn't enjoy school. I also spoke with Greg James from Radio 1, who described the importance of rhythm in radio presenting. There's something amazing in the rhythms of it, I guess, because you're not seeing anything and everything comes from the voice or a sound effect, or a cleverly edited piece of music, or just a song, obviously, just you know, a brilliant song at the right moment. I always loved hearing how things sounded, and I like voices and different voices and silly accents and different accents and that side of it. And I really love tinkering around with bits of audio and montages and the way that music can change the mood. And this is a funny piece of music. Why is it funny? This is a dramatic piece of music. Why is that dramatic? Why are they using that as a bed? So I guess I was really excited by that. And I used to love listening to Round the Horn. My mum and dad used to play that a lot. And it was they had sort of tapes of it. And we used to listen to that on journeys. And I remember not understanding most of it, I guess. But I did like how it sounded. And I liked the rhythms of it and the silly voices and the music and the, I guess, the feel of it. And that's... I guess that's what radio is, isn't it? It's a mood more than anything. The rhythm is really interesting that you pick up on that because I think that's something that if you were to ask anyone why they like something in particular, they wouldn't necessarily identify that it was about a rhythm. But it's key, actually, I think. Well, you have to listen. I guess with any sort of radio play or radio comedy, it's the only thing you get to go off. Everything's about timing and you can tell when someone's not put something together lovingly or there's a bad edit or there's a mistake or something so i guess it's really important because it's it's so clear if it all goes wrong or isn't quite right yeah and i think the rhythm is the equivalent of it and not to sound too contrived but the rhythm of the dj's delivery what you and i do is the equivalent of comedy timing oh my god that is it it has to be right you have to play the right song at the right time it has to be all those little things and they're things that listeners should never really notice and my old producer neil sloan at radio one used to say push yourself with you know talking up to the bits on a 
donut or something or push yourself for talking up to this vocal and maybe start that one here and use that ID before you talk and try these bits up to the top of our. Because he said, no one will know why it sounds good. They'll just know that it does sound good. Yeah. So those sorts of things are really important, even if the listeners don't know why. And I spoke to Mark Radcliffe in a pub and we talked about his career being a series of happy accidents. For all of those shows that you've just mentioned that you did on Radio 1, uh, how did Afternoons happen? Well, Afternoons was the happiest accident, really, because Mark Riley and I were doing the late night show, that 10 till midnight show, and we couldn't believe that we were being given a national radio show. We couldn't believe it. I mean, see, here's a cliche. We were like kids in a toy shop. These were the days before you kind of had to book a studio and charge it out. You just went in. We went in about midday for a show that started at 10 at night because we'd spend three or four hours messing about in the studio doing the Kraftwerk story, our stupid versions of all their songs. And... It didn't feel like work. It was like having your own playroom, but with BBC engineers and all the, what was then state-of-the-art technology. And no one ever said, what are you doing, wasting all this time? Everybody said, great, you know, get on with it. And it was amazing. And that show was really successful. And what you've got to remember about that is that we have music and all lots of new music, classic music, sort of sketches, poetry, new books, new films. Mark Kermode was on there, Will Self was on there, Harry Hill was on there, uh, Mel and Sue were on there. You know, there were lots of people who broke into the media who came through that show because we wanted to open it up to all these kinds of people. And, uh, you know, a couple of people have said to me, that was practically my internet, you know, because there was no internet when we were doing that. And so if you were a kid doing your O-levels, your A-levels at university... Where were you going to learn about all the new things, you know? And a lot of people took a lot of that from that show. So I feel pretty proud of that, really, that we did it. And from that, because it was successful, we'd stood in for Chris Evans for a couple of weeks on The Breakfast Show, and that had gone pretty well. And so when it came up that Chris had a big row with Matthew Bannister about not working Fridays, we got the job. To everyone's surprise, including our own, you know? I mean, we tried to get out of doing it. Genuinely, we said we weren't moving to London, thinking they'd say, right, forget it then. And we'd go, phew. And so, and then we said, uh, they said, this is the money. And we said, God, it's loads, you know, let's ask for twice that. And so we asked for twice that, thinking they'd say, who do you think you are? We'd say, phew. And they said, yeah, all right then. And I, oh my God, we've got to do it now. And, um, but I think we felt that, were we arrogant? Or, I mean, I think we were confident because the show we'd been doing was so successful and everybody loved it. So I don't think it crossed our minds that we wouldn't be successful. So when we started to fail, it was pretty surprising. And Emma B told me all about rehearsing in the basement at Radio 1. So when I was practising at Radio 1, Mark Goodyear, who was my first agent and my sort of big radio mentor, would pick me up and drive me in and he'd do his show and I'd kind of be a bit of a runner, so I'd to answer some calls and, you know, do some bits and pieces and just got used to being in the studio and then being around watching and learning how a proper radio show worked. And then I would sit in another studio in the basement of Radio One and talk and learn how to get from one record to another record, uh, learn how to structure my links, learn how to stop waffling, listen to myself back. I did so much listening back, so much listening back. And Radio One, when I was there, also we did a lot of listening back, which was something that I always encourage new DJs to do. It's like really painful and grim and it's not nice listening to yourself, but you very quickly learn about how you sound and words that you repeat and 
all sorts of stuff like that. So I would just pretend to do a show, essentially. He'd give me one of his old Radio 1 scripts and I'd start talking between the songs and think of things to say. And I've still got some of those recordings, which is really fun to go back and listen to, actually. Thanks for listening to How to DJ this year. We'll be back in 2023 with more conversations with some of the biggest names in music. So I'll see you then.